Hi, I'm Burke, and due to the nature of this podcast, there might be depictions of graphic violence or harsh language, so listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, so today's episode we're going to be talking about cursed items, and these are often some things that are often forgotten about, or you don't even bother to put them in your game because your players might identify everything. But if you've been following this series on making items for your game, you'll know the importance of making kind of interesting items, but also how to bait your players into wanting to use these items, even though they're cursed. See, cursed items don't all have to have just downsides. They can have upsides as well. The idea here is you want to make the upsides actually much greater than the regular magical items your players have access to, but with severe downsides to using them. The idea here is we want to mix in these artifact-like weapons and armor and items in with your regular group, but they need to have severe downsides to using them because you want to have that player go, man, this thing has some massive power gain, but can I afford to have a minus five to my constitution? And sometimes when you build these cursed items, their downsides don't kind of come up until they've been used enough. Have this thing tied to incremental power growth. After the wielder has killed, let's say 20 people, let's say the weapon gains more power, more strength, and then its downsides are even more. But our goal here is to build cursed items that make the player go, oh, it's not that bad though, right? I can just get, I can get removed curse and get this item off of me on a later date if it becomes a problem, right? So in today's episode, we're going to build out a couple of these things. One that I've already have built and I used in one of my games, which my player used up until the weapon was destroyed. But I'm going to go ahead and build a couple more just in case as well, just so we get a wide variety of different kinds of items for this episode. And if my voice sounds different throughout this episode, it's because it's getting recorded over the course of today, or it's going to get recorded on two different days. I'm already fighting the road to try to record so you don't have road noise, but we'll have to see what happens. The first cursed item we're going to talk about is one that ran with my campaign for a very long time and unfortunately was destroyed by an NPC. But I'm gonna go ahead and tell a little story on how this item got into one of my players' hands. This campaign was set on my world called Ezret. It was a frontier world that was discovered and the process of it becoming colonized was happening as my players arrived. One of the interesting things I could do with this setting, because it was not based on anything other than creatures of the plains visiting and colonizing this world, I didn't actually have to follow regular D&D norms. And because of how I ran this campaign, I still don't follow D&D norms for the most part anymore. The campaign started out really slow, and that was intentional. These are all adventures coming from the plains themselves and trying to set up these towns and outposts. Eventually, my party worked up to doing harder jobs. And one of these more difficult jobs were to figure out what's going on with these goblin tribes that were living out of the mountain. They were causing problems and the bodies recovered were very warped and nobody understood why the goblins were changing. So they went into this goblin encampment and cleared them out. Found out they were getting some chemicals from demons to help advance their strength strength and make them just more dangerous. After they got done, they figured out that it was dark outside and so my players wanted nothing to do with going outside. If I haven't talked about the setting, this is the setting I had the creatures that only came out at night and were super dangerous. It came from another realm, another time even, and my players at the time didn't have enough power to actually deal with one of them, let alone hundreds of them, because they roamed at night. It added another level of danger to the game because the players actually had to plan around getting back to a safe place before nightfall. So the party was exploring these caves and they found that one of these cave entrances was gated off. 
and they got curious. So they busted up the gate and went in and it opened up into this big lava dome. Or is it magma dome? I don't know. You get the idea. And sticking out of the middle of this dome was a great axe and it was made of a solid clear red crystal. The barbarian couldn't help himself and he ran and claimed the weapon for his own. And as soon as he touched the weapon, it took control of his body. After a series of saves, he was able to regain control of his body. The barbarian realized how much they really messed up. This weapon is the first sentient item I've ever put in the game that I've built myself. The setting where this weapon comes from, the dragons of this world are elementals. And when a great worm or something of great power dies, they leave behind a crystal that can be forged into a weapon. This weapon's name was basically Alphabet Soup. It's both a dragon name and an elemental name. My party called them Chaz. Because this item was a sentient item, Chaz actually has mental stats. He has a 12 wisdom, 24 intelligence, and a 30 charisma. His saving throws are charisma plus 19, intelligence plus 15, skills deception plus 18, and persuasion plus 20. He's immune from being charmed. He has telepathy up to 120 feet and blind sight up to 120 feet using the host's eyes. Well, host senses. He speaks common and ignorant. Now let's get into his abilities. Upon acquiring Chaz, it was a plus two weapon. Firebringer. The weapon has an additional plus 2d8 fire damage. Elemental Bane deals an additional 2d6 versus elementals. Obsidian Armor. The weapon loses its fire damage, but you gain a d8 AC and it lasts an hour. And the last good one is the wielder can understand and speak Ignan. Now with just that, this weapon's actually pretty powerful. Now let's get into the cursed stuff. Cursed, spark of life. If the wielder dies, they will be resurrected with the following changes. Alignment changed to chaotic evil. Ideal changed to my only goal is to resurrect the dragon. Bonds changed to I only trust myself and my weapon. Fun fact, that never came up, so that actually wasn't a problem for my player. However, it always kept them on their toes. But here's the rest of the bad stuff. Cold-blooded. The weapon hates the cold and will draw the wielder's body heat to keep itself warm. This actually came up a lot in the campaign. Thirst for souls. The dragon's hunger must be sated, and the weapon only feasts on souls. The wielder must feed the weapon with souls of the living or take constitution damage that can only be healed by greater restoration magic. Hijack host. The weapon is opinionated, and if it doesn't like the situation it's placed in, the weapon will attempt to hijack its host. The wielder must make a wisdom save to maintain control over your body. You must make a charisma saving throw versus the weapon to attempt to use another weapon. Now that's quite a bit of downsides, but I'm not done yet. These aren't actually downsides. These are things that the player learned later on using the weapon, and because of this, they decided that the weapon was worth keeping. So the additional information they found out is it had an ability called symbiosis. While the weapon and the wielder shared common goals, common interests, or a common objective, the damage die on the weapon would increase by a single d8, and they were able to use the obsidian armor ability without losing the fire ability. But this one always kept them on their toes. Unfortunately, it never came up because the weapon was destroyed. Transcendence. The weapon upon reaching the threshold of souls will advance to a plus three weapon. However, once the threshold is reached past plus three, the dragon will emerge. The weapon did reach plus three, but it was never able to surpass plus three. And yeah, that's something I homebrew in my game. Sometimes there are plus five weapons if there may be a Vorpal weapon. This is one of the weapons that I was allowing to at least go to a plus four. However, it never got its chance, and the party was always worried that the dragon would kill them all, especially since it was a great worm. Now, destroying or unequipping this weapon. This weapon was actually destroyed by a very powerful NPC during combat. 
so the weapon didn't have any restrictions on where it had to be taken to be destroyed. But it did have an interesting clause for unequipping this item. Unequipping the weapon. The weapon can be passed to another host by doing the following. The host must explain all the upsides as well as all the downsides to the weapon. The recipient must be of sound mind and body. The recipient and wielder must verbally acknowledge the passing of the weapon. The weapon may never return to its former wielder or the weapon will consume both the wielder's souls. It was kind of an interesting way to handle this weapon given its intelligence. You're dealing with this super intelligent ancient thing, so it made sense that it would have like a legalee to pass the weapon on. It was a lot of fun running the weapon as it was. However, this was the last time my players actually used one of my cursed items, at least for now. I have a couple in the works for when we actually start playing again. But not all cursed items have to be weapons. They can just be regular items. You could have like a special kind of bag of holding that is a cursed item. I mean, heck, you could maybe even consider a bag of devouring a cursed item as well, even though it's not really one. All right, now that the road's calmed down a little bit, let's build another one. And since Chaz is a great example for a weapon, let's just build a piece of armor. And let's call these the arsonist gauntlets. At least I don't think there's such thing as arsonist gauntlets in the... Uh, books and if there is we can just call it a different name but for right now i'm just going to call these the arsonist gauntlets and i'm sure somebody's shouting you just had a weapon that was fire why are you going to make gloves that have something to do with fire yeah i mean it works for this and given my area is currently suffering from some smoke and there is fire not far from where i live kind of in my thought process right now i'm currently safe where i'm at so no worries there but unfortunately other people aren't and since i was lucky enough to have Chaz already done I'm going to build this one from scratch. So let's go ahead and start with the good stuff first. We don't want to lead in with the bad stuff, especially when presenting this to the players. I think with a wearable like this, let's go ahead and give it an additional AC bonus when equipped. So let's give it a bump of plus two. And while we're at it, let's make them immune to fire while wearing the gauntlets as well. And let's go ahead and put equipped weapons that are non-magical. They gain the following properties. They are treated as a magical weapon plus one and deal an additional 2d6 fire damage while using the gauntlets however after three uses of this effect the weapons will melt while the gauntlets are equipped you can use heat metal as a free action additionally you can set flammable objects ablaze with this effect as well now let's kind of get into stuff that is more into the cursed items options for this one i call it engulfed while in combat with a weapon that is burning, after three rounds, fire spreads to your body. Your flaming aura does 3d6 fire damage in a five foot radius around your body. This effect does double damage to structures. Burn sentience. If wielding a magical weapon, its effect will slowly turn into a fire effect. And if the weapon has any form of sentience, the personality as well as identity of the weapon will be burned away. The weapon's dice type will go up one threshold. Think a d6 to a d8 so say you have a weapon that does 3d8 fire damage it now does 3d10 fire damage now so far you might be going these aren't actually all that bad uh some of it is though if i was going to put a pair of gauntlets like this into the game i'd be running a lot of sentient weapons and stuff so they'd be legitimately killing an npc off with the decision to wear these gauntlets it's like a kind of a big deal the fire damage is going to deal additional damage to people that are nearby and i'm tempted and i think i will go ahead and write this after five rounds the radius increases to 10 feet around them so it's harder for the party to get away now don't sleep on the does double damage 
to structures either. So if they're fighting in like, let's say a fort that's made of wood, this place is going to go up. Now let's get to the seriously bad stuff because this was kind of not so bad, but not so bad. But now let's get into the bad stuff. And let's go ahead and call this serial arsonist. Upon equipping the gauntlets, the player must roll 1d10. This will indicate how many days they can go without committing ar an arson. Greed. After every arson committed, the gauntlets need more. The next fire must be larger than the last. Now, this one can get kind of dangerous, especially with the fire effect. Let's say the gauntlets viewed your fight in an orphanage or a temple or a cathedral as an arson. You're going to have to one-up that. The player just can't go into the low towns and burn down abandoned buildings. They're going to have to keep one-upping themselves. Now, here's the interesting one. If they don't commit an arson during that time, next time a long rest is taken, the player's body will be taken over by the gauntlets. The gauntlets will succeed where the wielder had failed. And that arson will be counted as one that will need to be one-upped. Because that can be really scary. Because if your player loses control and then they wake up and they've burned down a forest, maybe they've burned down a village. That's just one thing they're going to have to one-up over the last one. Fused to flesh. The gauntlets have become part of the nervous system, and in part, part of you. Removal isn't possible without removing the hands. Destroying the gauntlets. The gauntlets can only be destroyed by its creator. However, his name has been lost to time itself. What is known that it was created by a devil that resides in, in Avernus. And honestly, I'd kind of build more, to, more on that, but it's 9.30 at night and I need to actually stop for the night and I will pick this up tomorrow. And I'm back. And I was planning on doing another one, but today was a really brutal day. Maybe we'll pick this up as like a side quest or something in the future when I actually have some time to record. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a lot of fun talking about the process of building the items over the course of these last three episodes. The next episode of the Telor campaign is going to be on September 24th, and it's still up in the air what's going to happen. So we'll see if Raymond returns or, or one of these other characters that I've built is going to be replacing him. You can find links to the Telor campaign as well as all my other socials in the show description below. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, if you could tell a friend about it, that'd be awesome. And thank you for making it to the end of the episode, and I'll catch you on the next one.